You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Today we're going to continue and wrap up our two weeks on love, unity, and peace, uh, communicating uh, with the people who you love the most. Now we've been focusing on the whole ideas of communication within uh, a marriage, but if you are single, you can apply this to your friends And if you are single and hope to be married one day, apply this to your life and put it into practice now and be that man and woman of God that you are called to be. And if you're single again, then uh, then this is something, again, you can apply to your friends and to your life regardless. But I'm going to be talking uh, a lot to married couples specifically, but I want you to filter this if you're single through your friends, okay? A healthy marriage is not an accident. We talked about this last week. If it's great, it's great for a reason. And if it's a wreck, it's a mess for a reason. In fact, Proverbs tells us this in chapter 24, verse 3. It says, by wisdom, a house is built. And through understanding, it is established. A house is built on wisdom. It's built on understanding. It's built on knowing God's plan and will for your family. Ephesians 4, 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Now, we're so quick to apply this to everybody else and then our family last. Today, I want us to apply this to our families. All right, and if you're a husband to your wife, to your wife, to your husband, you will get out of marriage, out of your relationship, out of your communication, the effort you put in. Uh, In fact, I need a couple of uh, people. I need a couple, a married couple to come down here and help me. We're going to have live marriage counseling on the spot. So I, oh, that's perfect. Megan, you just volunteered, you and Freddie. All right. So come on down here. We're going to do marriage counseling. All right. Uh, Yeah, I've got plenty of gloves here. If you guys want more than, we can do more than one couple marriage counseling. I've got a bag full of boxing gloves here. So go ahead and put these on. Go ahead and put those on. All right, we're going to settle some issues once and for all. Uh, Kind of come over here to the middle. All right, you don't have to lace them up or anything. All right, uh, what I want you guys to do is is I want you to settle some issues with each other um, via violence. I'm just kidding. All right, all right. Now, obviously... um, you can't hit Megan, but she can let you have it. So here's you can defend yourself. And what I want you to do is I want you just to do what you've always maybe thought about doing. And that is uh, giving them a, some pretty good punches, you know, letting out. Think, well, let's, we need another couple. Uh, no, just kidding. <laughs> All right, go ahead, and, go ahead and let them have it. If you, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Wow, I didn't have to tell you more than twice. That was all right. All right, now, no, you can keep them on for a second. Um, all right, yeah, it's hard to pull the hair out with the glove. Um, here's how we attempt to resolve our issues. Now, we may not pull out boxing gloves, husbands and wives and friends, right? We, we may not, you know, face each other like you're going to box like this, all right? Go ahead and face each other. There you go. And... and you, you too, you kind of put your gloves up. All right, that's how we generally uh, argue and settle disputes. It's like we're punching at each other. We're trying to get some blows in, right? 
blows with our words, blows with our actions, uh, blows with the, with the way that we treat each other or, or ignore each other, right? Some of you, that's how you communicate is you just put up a wall, you know, put your, put your guard up. That's how you communicate. Some of you, you just ignore each other. You become defensive mode, right? Uh, because you don't want to get hurt. And the other, they're just pounding away. Now, this is how we fight. And then somebody gets knocked out or there's a declared a winner by the amount of blows. And the other person just kind of gives in and acknowledges that they lost. All right. We're not going to argue that way. In fact, today we're going to talk about how you can fight where everybody wins, where everybody is a winner in the argument. All right. Thank you, guys. Hopefully you were able to settle some of those issues inside. Man, you uh, you really let him have it, though. She had something going, Freddie. All right. <laughs> all right. You know, we all argue. Is it okay to argue? Yes, it's okay to argue. There's nothing like wrong or bad about arguing. It's all about how we argue. It allows us to express our feelings, our passions, and in our opinion. So here's the top 10 marriage arguments. Are you, are you ready? The top 10 ways that we pull out the gloves and we punch each other. The number 10 is uh, the pet peeves. Um, how you leave the toilet paper, how you uh, leave your socks laying around, how you don't wipe off the counter, how you never put dishes in the dishwasher or never empty the dishwasher, right? It just, it just depends. There's the pet peeves. Uh, that, that stir the arguments. That's number 10. Number nine, the top 10 ways that couples uh, argue is uh, we argue about extended family. The in-laws and siblings, uh, you know, <laughs> no show of hands. I came real close to just saying, how many of you have ever argued about that? No, no, because we got family here, right? All right, number uh, eight is politics, traditions, and religion. I call those the PTRs. These are the things that we argue over, like politics, where maybe one's a Democrat, one's a Republican, one's a Libertarian, one's an Independent, one's an Anarchist. I am just hope not. Uh, one's that, you know, the traditions, the traditions of your family. Well, I always grew up doing it this way. Well, we always grew up doing it this way. We always opened up gifts on Christmas Eve. We opened them on Christmas morning. We always went out. We always stayed in. Family traditions on, we always had turkey, we always had ham, we always had tamales, whatever. And, and then on religion, well, I grew up going to this type of church, and I grew up going to this type of church. We're just not going to go. There's the PTRs. That's the number eight reason why couples argue. Uh, number seven is the me time. I just need some time with my friends. I just need some time alone. And, and there's arguments over the amount of time that you spend alone or don't spend alone or spend away from your family. Um, there is number six, priorities. That's arguments over everything from jealousy to feeling unimportant to feeling like you're competing with work to feeling like you're competing with TV to feel like you're competing with your phone, with somebody's phone or their time, their energy, priorities. There's arguments over you feeling left out and then Number five is the past, uh, arguing over the past, the past issues, the arguments, the stuff that you don't want to talk about that was never fixed, resolved, or things that you did before. Intimacy, number four argument is arguing over intimacy, things that you wish were said that are never said, things that you need to talk about that you'd never talk about when it comes to intimacy. Number three reason that 
Couples argue as children. They argue over discipline. They argue over how to handle trouble, how to handle the children, how much is too much, what kind of uh, grounding should take place and where they should go, how they should be treated, the lack of disrespect or too much respect or too much favoritism. And then number two is lack of talking. I like this one. They argue over not arguing enough. There's so many arguments that basically start with one of these others, but all of a sudden bulldoze right to, we just don't talk. And then the number one argument for couples is money, arguing over money. In fact, um, the number one reason that there is divorce is because of a lack of communication. And the number one reason there is a divorce in the communication is because of a lack of talk about money. As I've always said, if you're not talking about money, you're not talking so show of hands, have you ever argued about any of these in a relationship? Have you ever argued about any one of these? Some of you aren't raising your hands and I know you're a liar because I've sat with you in my office. If you're not having intense talks about these things, you're not talking. God is not silent on his love for us and we should not be either. The problem is the average couple does not talk together at all. Guess how long the average couple talks alone together a day close four minutes the average couple only spends four minutes of time alone talking we and we communicate differently men communicate for the purpose of report just the facts the headlines the answers how was your day good i'm done that's all you need to know i'm good while women communicate for the purpose of rapport to connect to feel close, to feel intimate with each other, uh, with your life. You might have heard this. It's true. Women are great talkers. Men are not. Women actually use on average 30,000 words a day to express their feelings. And the average guy only uses 15,000 words a day. That means women, you talk twice as much as men. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. A woman said that's true. But I'm sure some of you men were holding your tongue saying that's true as well. Here's the rules of engagement. But what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about how to argue so that everybody's a winner. How to basically win every time you fight. How many of you like to win every time you fight? How many feel like you win already every time you fight? <laughs> a few of you. Every time. I do. I win every time. It's a smirk. It's really not true. Um, she wins most of the time because I let her. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Actually, we actually put this into practice. I'm not perfect at these things. Uh, I'm on a journey just like you to be a better husband, to be a, a better um, communicator. Okay. So um, before we get into that, before you get in the ring, there's actually a workout that the Bible says that we need to do. It's training day. So we're going to talk about the workout before you get in the ring and then the rules of engagement once you get in the ring. So in Ephesians 5, Paul actually lays out the roles of marriage. But before he lays out the roles of marriage, he talks about how to train for marriage. So let's pick that up. We have actually talked about the roles a few weeks ago. We're not going to focus on that, but we are going to focus on the training that's in the chapter previous to that. So let's start Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul says this. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, by the way, he was in prison. That was literally, he was in prison, wondering if he was ever going to get out. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle 
and patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. From the very beginning, before he launches into how to have a healthy marriage, he says, this is the training ground right here. Two things jump out of that verse I want you to write down. The first thing is this, is a good communication begins before you even ever get together. Before you ever have a conversation, a serious talk, or before you interact with each other, how you treat others when you're not home, integrity, respect. If you treat others badly, how do you expect that you're going to treat your family? Good. I see this all the time. I see couples where... The guy is pretty much a jerk to everybody, right? But to his girlfriend, oh, he's a gentleman. You ever known somebody like that? Girls, this is my boyfriend. Break up, all right? Because he will be a jerk to you. It's coming. Because the way that he treats people in his life is the way he will treat people in his life. Whether you're a woman or a man, good communication begins before. So if you want to know how your communication with this person is going to be, you watch how they treat their coworkers, how they treat their boss, how they treat their friends. And if they're a jerk to their friends, they're going to be a jerk to you or it's, it's imminent that they're going to be if they're not yet. We tend to let the worst of ourselves out of the cage at home. Isn't that true? We're like, we put on the face. We put on, we, we're nice to people in public. We get home, you're like, oh, yeah. you're just grumpy and a grouch and I don't want to talk. You know, someone calls, hello, how are you? Yes. The doorbell, get the door. Oh, hi, how are you? No, we got some cookies already. Oh. Shut the door. Oh, those Girl Scouts, ah. We treat each other in our home worse than those outside. Here's the second thing. Good communication begins before you speak to each other. Your actions and heart before a word is even spoken. That verse tells us there's a lot that goes on inside and how we treat others before we can truly learn how to communicate with those closest to us. So he then unleashes into the workout. Areas in our life that affect how we communicate. And before you climb in the ring, we need to work these things out. So here we go. The first thing is this is a Jesus follower. Trusting God is the source of your life. If you want to be in a healthy relationship with somebody and have healthy communication, it starts with knowing Jesus as the source of life for you. If you want any hope for your marriage, if you want any hope for that friendship, it begins with the number one essential of a healthy marriage, Jesus. That's what he says in the next verse, in verse four. He says, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope, that's Jesus. When you were called one Lord, that's, that's one master who knows better, that's Jesus. One faith in the one who is Jesus. And one baptism, which is a reflection of the life of Jesus, the community of hope that we are baptized into. He says, there's one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. He says, before you can understand how to have a healthy relationship, you need to have a healthy relationship with the one who understands you more than anything, and that is Jesus Christ. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things 
will be added unto you. Put him at the center. Ephesians 4.21, he goes on, he says, when you heard about Christ, you were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires and to be made new in your attitude of your mind and to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, guys, listen, if you want a healthy relationship, if you want to learn to walk with people, you need to learn how to walk with God. He says, if you, if you walk with Jesus, it changes you from the inside. Your whole attitude is different. The way that you treat, the way that you talk, you, your actions are different. You put on a new life when you walk with Jesus. If you want to hope, for your marriage, you need Jesus. You cannot fix your spouse. You cannot change your spouse. You are not given to them to change them. You are given to them to encourage them and to f- reflect Christ. Only God can change them. It goes on to say, verse 25, it says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. That's a reference to our actions outside of the home. And if you're angry, do not sin. By the way, You can be angry, and it's okay. It is not a sin to be angry. Anger becomes a sin when you allow it to give birth to actions that are sinful. Actually, anger is God's gift to us. Anger is an immediate reaction that motivates us to change something, to fix something. It stirs passion to correct a wrong and to stand up for what is unjust So anger is actually a godly gift, but don't allow it to give fruit to ungodly actions. He says, do not let the sun go down while you're angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Here's the second workout. Something you need to be working on in yourself is that is be a forgiver. You need, before you get into a healthy relationship or if you're in a relationship and you want it to be healthy, you need to determine in your life that you're going to be a person who's going to walk in forgiveness. You're going to be quick to forgive. When you are offended, man, you are ready to forgive. You don't need a reason to forgive somebody. You've chosen to be a person who walks in forgiveness. When that person at work offends you, when your wife or your husband or your kids or that neighbor or that friend or that sibling, when you are offended, man, walking with Jesus says, I am going to be a forgiver. Whether they say they're sorry or not, I forgive without a grudge on our shoulder. He goes on to say in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ forgave you. You know, sometimes when I come home, my wife likes to cook meals and she likes healthy foods and I'm adjusting. (laughs) She fixes foods that, our family is embracing because she's fixing meals for us. And she fixes meals that have onions in them at times, right? And I come home and, and I smell onions, right? Now, I don't know if you like the smell of onions. Anybody like the smell of onions? Uh, who does not like the smell of onions? I'm with you. I do not like the smell of onions. So I come in and I'm like, oh man, what did you guys have for lunch today? What are you cooking in that crock pot? What is, oh man. And they've, they've, you know, you're in it, you get used to it. So they don't smell that. They just smells like cooking food. And I come in onions, Ooh. you know, I just, uh. so 
She says, well, I threw them away. And, I, and I'm thinking, here's what we do. This is exactly what we do is when we have issues where we're angry or we have a grudge, or we have some sense of, of unresolved issues, we just throw it in the garbage. We just throw it in the trash, but we, we don't take it out of the house, right? So we just throw it away. We put it in the back of our mind. We say, we're done with it, but it's still there. The presence is in the house. And unless you take the stinking garbage out of that, you can't just throw it away. You've got to take it out. You've got to take out the garbage, take out the trash. It's time for some of you to truly let go of those things that you think that you've just thrown in the trash. It's time to take out the garbage and truly be a forgiver. Take out the trash. It will only make your house stink if you don't take it out for good. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another, forgive whatever grievances you have against each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive means you don't hold it to their account. He goes on to say more training in verse 20. He says, anyone who's been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, do something useful with their own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. That means another reference to how you treat others. And with generosity says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, and it may benefit those who listen. Here's another thing, training out what to work in you if you want to be a good communicator is you need to be an encourager. You need to decide that you're going to stop being a negative Nancy and a negative Ned. Every time you come home, something's not wrong. Every time you're hanging out with your kids, something's not wrong. Every time you go to work, something's not always wrong. Could you imagine what it would be like if you just decided not to be a negative person anymore? Now, do not raise your hands, but I want you to think if you are with somebody who's always negative. That's a lot of you. And we're men, we're very guilty of this. We're guilty of, men, if you weren't negative with your kids, if you weren't negative with your wife, if you weren't negative about your husband or about that meal or about your day, your words bring life and hope Simply your attitude can change an environment. First Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Life is in our words. It's about, it's about receiving. And, and here's, if you've liked football, here's, here's how we need to treat our words, our wife, our spouse, our kids. If you ever played football, the quarterback throws, right? The long pass. And you have these guys, hey, man, they're jumping. That's the ones you do the replay on, right? They play it over, man, got it, woo! Even on a team you don't like, they're like, man, that was good, right? They, man, they're like, they grab it, they grab it. Man, it's like magic fingers. They grab it and they pull it in and they're like, boom. And then once they get it, if they get it, if their footing is right, man, they're running. Boom, they're knocking. Boom, they got blockers, man. They're not, they are, that ball becomes part of their soul. You know what I'm saying? Man, they, they're not letting it go because a score is in play. Now, here's the deal. What we need to do as husbands, as wives, we need to reach out to our spouses, to our husbands, to our wives, to our kids. We need to reach out. We need to bring them in. We need to cuddle them like they're part of our soul. I'm talking about like physical cuddling, but that might be a bad idea. Might not be a bad idea. But you need to like bring them in and do everything it takes to keep them safe with your words with your conduct, with your actions. Man, if you just were protecting the heart of your wife, 
you would speak different. If you were protecting the heart and the lives and the souls of your kids, you would be speaking different. You would be an encourager. Romans 5, 15, 5 says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one, one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another. Then as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God, accept, receive, and defend and protect that wife, that husband. Here's the next one, and that is things to work out before you get in the ring is you need to be a server. A server. You know you're serving. It's when you do something with nothing to gain in return. It most often does not even benefit you at all. So how do you know if you're serving? You get nothing out of it. You may not even feel good about it. You think Jesus enjoyed that cross? You think he enjoyed the pain and the suffering that was afflicted upon him when he was beaten to a pulp? It was his service of love and sacrifice of love for us. The Bible says, but for the joy set before him, he saw the result, the fruit of what would happen, that because of the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He gave his life. He served us. And it is time that we learn to be a server with each other. Paul says in Philippians 2, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. Again, we apply this to people at work and at school and outside of the home. It's time to apply it to our husband and wife, to our family, to our kids. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be that as the same of Christ Jesus. You see need at home, fill it. You see the dishwasher needs to be filled, fill it. You see some Cleaning that needs to be done, we'll clean it. You see something at the table that needs to be picked up, we'll pick it up. A lot of arguments would be avoided if we just lived this out and started walking as servants and putting each other above ourselves. Here's the next thing, just uh, two more before we talk about how to fight because this is the workout. You can't get into a ring without the workout. You will be pulverized. The next one is you need to be a cheater need to be a cheater. Now, we've talked about this before, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, and that is that we all cheat something. We will, Right now, you're cheating somebody. You're cheating something. You're either going to cheat work or you're going to cheat your family. That's the only choice. You're going to cheat your kids or you're going to cheat that hobby. And the point is you need to decide that you're going to be a cheater. Who are you going to cheat on? Someone be, will be left out. And some of you honestly right now feel cheated on and you feel like you, you can't even look at your spouse in the face because you feel cheated on. And I'm not talking about relationally. I'm talking about with time and with energy that you've invested in some other project other than your home. So the challenge is to hurry home, protect your time with your family, protect that time with your marriage, be a cheater of the right things for your marriage and communication will thrive when you decide to cheat the right things. Schedules reflect the priority of your home. And I want to ask you right now, what does your schedule say about your cheating? Here's the last thing before we get into the ring, and that is a submitter. And men are thinking, finally, something for my wife. Actually, this is for you. Because in the roles of marriage in Romans 5, it does talk about this submission and the roles in marriage. And we've talked about that before, but we often forget the verse immediately before he talks about the roles in marriage. And that is in Ephesians 5, 21, he says, submit to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. A few weeks ago, we talked about the roles, but this is one often neglected. This means, this is more than just serving. This is about preferring the person above yourself. It's time that we have a mutual submission to each other in honor of our passion and our love and reflection of our walk with God. You see, it all begins with Jesus and then this fruit of a walk with God. It will change us as a person and allow us to communicate and even argue in a healthy way. All right, so we got the gloves. We're ready to get in the ring. We're ready to fight. You're you're ready to pounce on this person. You're ready to settle some issues. All of these are a great personal workout. They're things to work out in our life, but it begins with you. It begins with you deciding that you are going to be a person that is a healthy person in your walk with God. In fact, this is what Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The writer of Psalm is saying, God, I know there's a lot of things going on and the verses prior, he's actually pouring his heart out of anger to his enemies. But then he gets his priorities right and he says, God, but start with me. Husband, it's time for you to say, start with me. Wife, it's time for you to say, God, start. What in me, God, needs to change about my marriage? Right? Husbands, what, God, do you have for me to change? Those of you that are single, God, what about me and my friendships? What do I need to work on? What in me, God, needs to be changed? God, search me, show me what I need to change. These are the areas that God says you need to work on. So you're working on yourself. An issue arises and an argue. An argument begins to happen. What do you do? How to win every time? This is it. Some of you... Say, man, I so win every time. Well, if the other person's a loser, then you didn't win. Your communication will determine your future. Your communication in your relationships will determine your money. The communication in your relationship will determine your intimacy, your children, your ability to laugh, and your ability to stay together. So here's how you argue. This is the first thing to do. Number one, the very first thing that you need to do is you need to take off the gloves. You need to take the gloves off because the goal is not a fight where someone gets knocked out. The goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to win a heart. So it's time to take the gloves off. That's rule number one. And this is about listening. A lot of times we go into an argument just ready. Boom, boom, boom. We're ready. I'm ready. Come on. Come on. You want to bring that up? Let's go. Right? God says, no, no, no. Take the gloves off. Just settle down and you need to listen. First things first, if you want to argue healthy, listen. You're not there to fight. Take off the gloves. James 1, 19 says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If some of you would just listen more, take the gloves off and listen more, you'd all automatically Wipe out a ton of the arguments that are already happening in your home. Ask yourself, are you listening 
Are you really listening to what is being said or are you waiting for them to breathe, right? You've been in an argument like that? They're breathing. You took a breath, blah! You know, you're like, you're thinking, you're ready. Are you seeking to find out what they're feeling or are you listening to their heart and not just their words? Are you trying to win or are you trying to build a sense of community of unity? See, I've got a couple of videos I want to show here because I think men do not communicate very well. And I think sometimes women are not listened to very well. And I think both of us could, could benefit from understanding how to listen. Will you listen to this man share his heart when it comes to communication? The things that go inside of a man's mind is somewhat like this. I'm in debt. I have two car payments, four years into a 30-year mortgage, balances on a couple credit cards, plus college for three kids on the horizon, zero savings. I work long hours at a job that I hate, and despite all that, all I get is stress about how I can make more money. I take four pills a night for my back pain. Some days, getting up seems like too much. I struggle with dyslexia. I have high cholesterol. I overeat a little too often. I'm trying to get in shape, but it's never, I mean, never enough. My dad died five years ago from cancer. I should have seen him more before he passed. Man, I miss him so much. Everyone expects me to be over it, but it's something that I still deal with daily. I haven't taken my wife on a date in four months. I practically forgot our anniversary. My kids need me when I get home. But it's late, and I want to sleep. I spend my weekends at their functions, as if that's enough. All this, and I still resent my family. Because I have no time just for me! I can be amazingly selfish. I'm often angry, seemingly, for no reason. I struggle with lustful thoughts, none of which my wife understands. Nor do I, for that matter. I'm good at some things, I'm great at nothing. I had dreams for my work and my family, and I abandoned them long ago. I think I'm a realist, and I come off as a pessimist. I feel restless knowing something is missing. I have too many burdens. They're suffocating. And this is the weight I carry. You know, I think a lot of us would, uh, would do well to listen to the words behind the words of things that are said about each other. And I think a lot of us men, we, we do not express ourselves very well. And I watched this video a while back and I thought, man, that so much is the heart of most of the men that I talk to. The struggles, the battles, the issues, the insecurities, the, the, the courage, the, the doubt, the fear, all of that bundled up inside. And we don't, we don't, we don't know how to talk. We don't know how to communicate. And I think a lot of times... We have a hard time listening. We have a hard time talking. On the flip side, I think women also have areas that they could talk about too. So I want you to watch this. And, and I think this really connects with men. I want you to listen to the heart of this woman because I think this is the heart of a lot of women in this room. I am plagued by insecurity. around at other women, and I can't help but notice how they seem to have it all together. 
Even Bible study feels like a study of what I should be wearing or what I should cook for dinner. My relationships are a mess. I don't have enough time to call my friends, much less go and visit them. I snap at my kids half the time, and I'm worried about them the rest of the time. I see my husband every day, but somehow I still miss him. We're in debt up to our ears, and I'm not sure what to do about it. I mean, do I stay home with the kids, or do I go get a job? Either way, I feel guilty. Most mornings, I look in the mirror and wonder what happened. My weight is up and down and up again, and my clothes never fit right. I work out, I try and eat right, but it's just never enough. Those perfect girls in the commercials drive me crazy. I know that it's all produced, but it still eats at me. I mean, is that what they really think I should look like? I try to push through all of these feelings. I put a smile on my face for my family. Forward to when my kids go to bed. See, guilty again. Endless emotions swirl in my head like annoying little gnats. I'm tired. I need a break, and there isn't one, ever. I'm so bored with the same routine, but it's also the only thing that keeps me sane. I just feel weak, and I'm so tired of feeling weak. I read about the Proverbs woman. And it should help, but it doesn't. My past is its own burden, and the Bible says I should smile about the future. I'm terrified of it. My dreams feel so far away. Sometimes, well, most times, I can't see truth through all of the mess. And no matter what I try to do about it, it's never enough. I hope that you hear the heart of your wives and a lot of the women in this room. I, I think, I think men, we don't express and, and share our struggles and burdens with the people that we love and women. We, you, uh, maybe aren't heard, and sometimes maybe you struggle with with expressing yourself. So, take the gloves off. Take the gloves off. Second rule is this, nothing below the belt, nothing below the belt. This is about how we use our words. It's about using our words carefully. Some things that are said are hard to ever recover from. And sometimes when we're angry, we say stupid stuff. We say mean stuff. We say hurtful stuff. We say things we don't believe. We say things we don't mean. And sometimes we try to intentionally hurt each other to bring up those insecurities or to, to bring up those fears and those, those guilty feelings. We bring them up and, and we, we, we see them as a weak point for us to win. Take the gloves off and nothing below the belt. This is all about speaking in a way that you are trying to be understood, not attack. So ask yourself, do you speak to be understood? What do your words really say? Are they thought out? Are they harsh? Are you listening first and then speaking? Quick to listen, slow to speak. Ephesians 4, he says, Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That word unwholesome means spoiled fish. Some of you guys, you've had, you've been out on a date with somebody, you've been out with friends, and all of a sudden, 
words like spoiled fish just stink up that date, right? Have you ever been in a date like that? You're about to get together with family. You're getting ready or you're at a restaurant or you're heading into the movie or you're trying to find a parking spot or whatever. And all of a sudden, hateful, harsh, ugly, stink-filled words spoil the environment. Proverbs 25, 11 says, timely advice is as lovely as golden apples and silver baskets. I love that. The idea is there's a right time and a wrong time to argue. In fact, write this down. Don't argue when you're halt. H-A-L-T. This is something that, a little extra. That is, don't argue when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Halt. So wait a minute, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Then maybe it's probably not the best time to talk about this right now. You know, I was spoke at a marriage conference last fall and talked about this thing right here. And a guy raised his hand and says, what if you feel like that all the time? I said, you need to get on your face with God then. Because if you're hungry all the time, <laughs> you need to work that out, number one. But if you're angry all the time, that's a big one. And if you feel lonely all the time, and if you're tired all the time, then you need to get your life and schedule in order with God's will for your life. So here's the uh, the third rule of engagement is that nothing from behind. Remember, we're talking about like, like you get in the ring, you're getting in the ring, take the gloves off, nothing below the belt, and nothing from behind. Basically, that means don't bring up the past. If it's been resolved, if it's been dealt with, if you've talked it out, don't bring it up. Issues of the past are hot issues, but if they've never been talked about, you need to talk about them. But if they've been talked about, if they've been dealt with, then they're off the table. They are a dead issue. They are a non-issue. Resolved issues of the past, if brought up, are below the belt. They're off the table if they have been dealt with. So you need to ask yourself, are you keeping a record of wrong with your spouse? They said they were sorry you talked it out. You said you forgave them, but yet in the back of your mind, you're keeping track of how many times they're late and how many times they've said this and how many times they've done this. If it's been resolved, now resolved doesn't mean it's over and it's done with. Resolved means that you have dealt with it in a healthy, meaningful way. Because like, for instance, if there's a drinking problem, Resolve doesn't mean you accept their apology and let them keep on drinking themselves to death. It means that you have together resolved to pursue a solution so this doesn't destroy your relationship and you don't bring up the anger that it causes you because that's been dealt with. And you're working together through the resolve. But some of you, you, you bring up past relationships and they still cut deep. They're still hurtful. Things of the past are dead issue. First Corinthians 13 says, love does not keep a record of wrong. So if you're keeping track, that's not love. Here's the last thing, and that is finish together. Finish together. The whole idea is that one essential key to a healthy marriage is that you are committed to finishing this hand in hand together. That when you argue, it's not the point of, winning, it's the part of uniting. It's not the point of just getting it out and speaking your mind and getting it on the table. It's the point of you being closer to that person. Again, if you have friends and you're not married, you want to filter this through that relationship of friends. It's about knowing that at the end of a conversation, the goal is for you to be together. That's the goal. 
of a good argument is at the end of the argument, the goal is we're closer and we're together. We finish, we're both winners when you argue right. And that means to finish together, you must commit to being a forgiver. The goal of an argument is to, when, see, that's, as a pastor, I have to deal with conflict all the time. And I have to address issues all the time. And to the point that I'm not worried or, or anxious or upset when I have to confront or talk to somebody. If I've ever had to go on to you in public, I'm sorry, in private, because I don't do that in public. If I've ever had to come to you in private, it's not something I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? I hate confrontation. No, because you know why I love it? Because I'm mean. No, I'm just kidding. It's because, because I love you. And I know the end result is us being closer together. And the end result is you being closer to God. And the end result is you being a healthier person. And I plan on us finishing together. So to me, confrontation can be a healthy thing. So when you confront, if the goal is, I'm ready to forgive, I'm ready to receive challenge, I'm ready to be teachable. Here's the definition of marriage. Unconditional commitment to an imperfect person. And the definition of commitment is being willing to be unhappy until we work it out. See, it's time for you guys to realize that unless divorce is off the table, you'll never, ever truly be able to finish together. Some of you, it's on the back burner of your mind. Well, if it doesn't work out, we can always just get divorced. You, you got to be committed to finish together or you'll never resolve issues. Now, I do... I want to ask you some questions on this. Are you able to forgive? Do you want to forgive? Are you trying to prove a point or build unity? What is, will this end us being closer together? Am I talking about this because I love this person? Ephesians 5.33, he says, However, each of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. He says, man, this is a team. This is a team. We are a team. This family is a team. My wife and I, we heard this when the first year we got married. We got married in 1992. And uh, we had someone at our wedding say this, and we say it all the time to couples now. And that is someone said, uh, uh, you need to learn to say, I love us. And you know what? We say that often and we tell couples that because I can't imagine my life without my wife, without that woman by my side. I don't want my, my life without her. I love us. I don't just love you because you can say, I love you, but we're just not good together, right? I love you too much to keep you. <laughs> if you love it, you'll let it go. If it was yours, it'll come back. If it doesn't, it never was. <laughs> Whatever. I love that woman. I'm not letting her go. Even if she tries to run away. <laughs> I don't want my life to be without her. I am committed to finishing my life together. Do you understand? We decided years ago, we weren't even going to joke about divorce. We weren't even going to play around with, you know, couples get together. I'll just go find me another husband. Oh, you know, I hear couples like, are you dumb? That's seeds of, of division that you're just jokingly tossing into your marriage. I'll just go find another woman. Oh. You just might. It is out of the picture. We are finishing together. This is that commitment to finishing together. Now, I do want to say something about abusive relationships because that's kind of the, what if the husband is, is abusive? 
What if the wife is abusive? What if there's drug abuse or alcohol abuse or physical abuse or verbal abuse? What do you think about abuse? Should I stay in an abusive relationship? No, you should not stay in an abusive relationship. In no way do I or would I ever or my wife and I ever encourage anyone to remain in an abusive, in the household of an abusive relationship. If you are in an abusive relationship right now where you're emotionally abused or physically abused or you're in an environment where the potential is there because of alcohol or drug abuse, then what you need to do is you need to remove yourself from that environment or have that person be removed from the environment. This does not mean a divorce. But you remove yourself from the environment, remove them or him or her from the environment and you seek reconciliation through counseling to resolve and to help him because the goal is to restore and finish together, right? But it's not to remain in an abusive environment. However, if one person is completely unwilling to resolve and they move on without you, the Bible says you are released from that relationship. The Bible says that there are acceptable areas of divorce in the Bible. And that is one of them is adultery, which actually I've seen many marriages survive and thrive after adultery. So don't count off a marriage simply because of that. But the second reason that the Bible gives is abandonment. If one leaves the other and the one who is left, the Bible says, Paul says, you are free to remarry. You're not bound to that relationship if they abandon you or leave you. Now, what that means, you might, some people try to use that liberally to get out of a marriage. And I think that that you should pursue finishing together at all costs, okay? Get out of an abusive relationship, pursue reconciliation, and trust that God will work you through that, okay? And if you need talk, if you need to talk to someone about that, we will talk to you about that. We would love to encourage you and to help you with that. So here's the end thought. The very last thought is this, is that at the end of the day, looking at your marriage, maybe it's great. Maybe it's not so good. Maybe you struggle talking. Maybe you struggle financially. Maybe you, you're not talking at all and you just turned into arguing and maybe you feel distant. You feel alone. I want you to write this down. I want you to remember that Jesus believes in your marriage. He believes in your marriage and he has given you as a wife all that you need to be that godly woman, and as a husband, to be all that you need to be that godly man. In fact, this is what Hebrews 12.1 says. I'm going to pray with this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I mean, that's the workout. It's time to clean a house, with, starting with me first, God. And he says, And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That means don't give up, don't give in, finish together, finish the race of God together, finish the race of God. He says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, he's the center, he's the pursuit, he's the focus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is a great passage. That verse one, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. 
want you to imagine a giant arena in heaven. And the floor of the arena is a, is a hole that goes straight down to earth. And all of heaven is sitting in the stands. Jesus is sitting in the stands and they're going, yes, you can do it. <laughs> they're saying, you can do this. They're saying, come on, don't give up, come on. When I feel like giving up, I feel like the whole, the whole cloud of heaven is saying, go, Ted. Don't give in. You can do this. Humble yourself. Say you're sorry. Humble yourself. Be a man of courage. Be a man who is, who is committed to finishing together, to using your words carefully and listening. Come on, Ted. You can do this. I believe all of heaven is cheering you on right now. They're shouting your name. Jesus says our example. He said, don't give up. It's not too late. So I want to pray for you, particularly those of you that feel like maybe your marriage has gone too far. Let me pray for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the restorer, the redeemer, the forgiver. God, you are the one who gives us a fresh start, a new beginning. And God, I pray that first of all, we would search our hearts. I want you right where you're seated, right there, to search your heart. Is there anything in you that needs to change? Is there anything about your attitude, about your actions? Are you an encourager? Are you a server? Are you a forgiver? Is Jesus the center of your life? Are you working out the areas of your life that build character in you? Ask yourself, God, Work in me first. God, work in me. If you're in a marriage right now and and you need a change in your marriage, ask God right now, God, change me. God, change. Go ahead and talk to him right now. Say, God, change me. Work in me. God, start with me. Help me to be the person that's the catalyst for healing in our home. God, start with me. God, I pray for the families and the homes in this room that are struggling, that are, that are tipping the scale of divorce right now. And Lord, I pray that your healing, your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness, Lord, would shine forth in their home. Lord, I pray that the men in this room would decide to lead as godly men, that they would take the step to lead as a man of God, as a husband of God as a father or that they would be leaders in their home. God, I pray for the wives that they would help them to be a leader and help them to be a leader as well in their in their role of leadership in the home. And I pray that you just heal the heart. Let forgiveness, let forgiveness break our hearts. God, help us to hear each other and to speak carefully and slowly in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to encourage you to to do something. And that is, uh, some of you have actually sat in my office and I've shared some of these things with you. So refresh your course. But something that we try to do is um, when it comes to communication, just a real simple tip is don't use the word you, use the word I. Instead of saying, you do this, or you always do this, or you did this, or you showed up late, say, I feel alone. I feel disrespected, or I 
feel left out or I feel I'm the only one who's trying. Because when you say the word you, you are attacking. When you say the word I, you're communicating in a way to be understood. And I think how we communicate with each other is key to the help, right? That's what this whole thing was about. So that's a good little tip to think about and how you talk. Because today, some of you need to talk today about some serious things in your family and in your marriage. So be people of courage and faith. Talk to that husband. Talk to that wife. If, you're, if you've got a friend that you've been putting off talking to, talk to that friend. Take the gloves off. Nothing from below the belt, nothing from behind, and be committed to finishing together. All right. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.